Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. Hey, 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 we're back. We're back, we're back. After, after a long hiatus. Um, <laughs> it's been a few months now uh, since our last podcast. Um, and uh, and we're back today with another episode of the Undeniable Level Up. Um, and um, just to catch everybody up on the reason why we've kind of been out of the loop for the last couple months, um, it's been pretty challenging. We relocated from California to Houston, Texas at a time when it was extremely challenging for us to do. Didn't go as smoothly as we wanted it to, um, didn't go as planned. We had some obstacles and some roadblocks in the process. Uh, We weren't just personally moving from California to Houston. Um, We were also moving our business from California to Houston, Texas. Definitely caused us to uh, to kind of delay things um, in terms of standing things back up. But hey, we're back now, right? We're back. Yeah, and it's all about... It's all about persistence and consistency. And although we weren't consistent, uh, we are persistent. Absolutely. We've released a couple bonus um, bonus tracks in terms of our podcast. But the very last podcast that we released was Why Rules Are for Stupid People. Uh, and in that podcast, we shared some personal examples where this particular philosophy applied in our lives. And we heard about multiple CEOs and very successful businesses that operate from the rules are for stupid people philosophy as well. Today, we're going to talk about action. All right. This is very pertinent for it to be our back to our podcast topic, because part of what prevented us from being able to come back and, and bring the podcast back was the fact that we were being lost in motion. There was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of different distractions and a lot of different things that we were focused on, but we weren't applying deliberate action and and actually getting to the things that were important and to the things that we needed to do. And as we got back into executing and and actionable things, we got back into the rhythm that we needed to be on. And so we're back here to record this podcast. So we do say that we should never confuse motion for action. So in the words of Gandhi, a man is the sum of his actions, of what he has done, of what he can do, nothing else. So what is the difference between motion and action? Motion is being or looking busy regardless of what you're doing. But what is being done will never produce an outcome by itself. Action is the behavior that garners a result. And that kind of reminds me of a quote from Benjamin Franklin where he says, never confuse motion with action. And I've heard this. I never knew Benjamin Franklin is the one who said that. But I've been told throughout my career in the military, don't confuse motion for action. There have often been roadblocks and obstacles that have prevented me from taking action based on a desired objective or outcome. Whether it's been to finish college, start a business, or retire from the military, I found myself confused between motion and action. And so in that process, I've wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy as well. Action, as defined by Crystal a few seconds ago, is the behavior that ends in a desired result or an achievement of a goal or objective. Motion is just expended energy. It's often wasted energy. A perfect example can be seen uh, when I was finishing my master's degree. 
I kept procrastinating by starting pointless projects, focusing my attention on everything except finishing the degree. And as a result, when I retired, I didn't achieve my goal. I had just kind of dragged it on. To others, it looked like I was really busy, and I was really busy. I was doing people's taxes. I was starting small businesses. I was coaching people on starting their own small businesses. But overall, I wasn't getting after my objective and my goal, and so I missed the target. If you want to save time and energy, we're going to give you the 11 rules that you need to follow to ensure that you're not confusing motion for action and that you're getting the right things done. All right, so here we go. Number one, always do the hardest or most important task for the day first. Do not procrastinate on the hard things. Do you follow this philosophy? You know, that's a really good one. And, and I would say that I don't always follow that philosophy. A lot of times I try to do the easier things first because I know I can just knock them out, you know. But this is a really good one because a lot of times what happens is you get the easy ones done and then you're like, ah, oh, this hard one, I just, you know, I'm just going to leave this one for tomorrow. So it forces you to procrastinate because you know you don't have enough time to finish it. So you're just like, ah, oh, you know what, I'm just going to put this one on the shelf. I'm going to come back to it. And then what ends up happening is comes down to crunch time and you're, you're trying to squeeze it all in. So I like to follow this philosophy, but I don't always do it and I need to be better about it. What about you? I would have to say I'm the same. I don't always follow this. I'm definitely guilty of that. I've actually read that during your most wakeful time, anybody who knows me knows I'm not a morning person, but when you're the most I guess cognitively with it is when you want to do the task that would require those skills. So let's say that accounting isn't your thing, or even if it is, um, but you're really crunching a lot of numbers, um, that would be something that would be difficult. You'd want to do that when you're most alert. And generally that's going to be first thing in the morning when you've gotten up and had your coffee or you got that you know burst of energy in the morning and and you're ready to kick off your day. So it makes sense. You start to, to get tired throughout the day. And so if you leave those smaller tasks going through the day or the easier tasks going through the day, um, then it makes sense that you can probably have a more productive day that way. Yeah. W one of the things that I do that's a little bit different here, and I started doing this when I started um, using a, standard, a leader standard work. And for those of you guys who don't know what a leader standard work is, it's basically a schedule of the tasks that you need to complete on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. And as you complete those tasks, you typically check them off of your list and say, I, I, I completed this task. And in my leader standard work, mine is very granular. So it really goes down to the hours. And so what I'll do is I'll have a task. And let's say, for example, I have a task like, let's say, file taxes. And I know this task is going to take me four hours. Part of what I'll do is I'll either schedule two hours on, you know, on a particular day to start the task, and then I'll schedule another two hours on another day to finish the task. And by putting it on a schedule, it holds me accountable to actually doing it, and I know I only need to do this for two hours. Now, if I don't finish it in the four hours, I can add another two hours on another day, and that way I'm not sitting there crunching numbers for four hours straight, where that might be a little bit too much, you know what I'm saying? So by breaking it up into smaller increments, even though right. it's the, the hard thing to do, I'll do two hours tomorrow morning, and then I'll do two hours on Monday morning, and then you know that'll that will give me the amount of time that I need in order to accomplish the task. So that's one of the things that the leader standard of work has helped me kind of work through, especially for tasks that I really don't want to do. Or I really don't right. feel like doing it, you know? Well, and I definitely agree with that because you can plug things in in the areas where you have time. You know, if you've properly scheduled, you know, mapped your stuff out, then you're able to plug some things in there 
you know, in those empty spaces. And it still allows for you to put fires out when they arise. Yeah. And then what I do with the smaller task is um, I know those tasks are maybe going to take me 30, 45 minutes. So I'll sprinkle those in, in between the times where I don't have something already that's major that I'm, that I'm focusing on. So those can be sprinkled in like, you know, at this half hour where I have nothing scheduled, you know, I'll throw in a smaller task there. That's really smart. So number two, practice extreme ownership. Own your successes and your failures and never pass the buck. That's a good one. Uh, And if you haven't had the chance to listen to our uh, episode on extreme ownership, I encourage you to check it out. It's episode nine of the Undeniable Level of Podcast. uh, And it has a short excerpt from ex-Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, a great speaker, very motivational guy, um, great podcast that he has. And it's definitely a great message about extreme ownership. You know, this makes me think about when you're interviewing for jobs, I've been asked before, um, what do you do when you think you're going to miss a deadline or what do you do when you have missed a deadline or you know you're going to miss a deadline? I've been asked that. And I remember thinking, I couldn't think of when I had missed a deadline because I generally map things out pretty well. It wasn't until I became a business owner that I realized that I passed deadlines and I had so many different competing priorities that it became difficult to juggle so many different important tasks. You know, you wake up and say, they're all really important. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. So. That's where the uh, the art of delegation comes in. Sometimes you have to take some of those tasks that maybe you don't have to do yourself and give those to somebody else who maybe it's not their responsibility, but they have the ability to do those tasks. And that way um, it can loosen up your schedule a little bit and allow you to accomplish more of what you need to. Right, absolutely. Number three, begin with baby steps. If it's something that's hard to do or that you don't feel like doing, break it down into smaller pieces, um, more manageable steps. And if you have the luxury of time, spread it out over time to make it easier to swallow. Basically what we were just talking about. If you're mapping things out, it's going to make it much easier for you. Um, Have you ever had a project or task too big um, that you had to break it down into smaller parts to get it done? Yeah, um, and I can't think of one specifically off the top of my head. I will say that I've had multiple large projects that I've had to work on, especially when I was at uh, when I was at Cardinal Health. For example, let's say an EHS project or a safety project, where you know it's going to take multiple people involved and you know mul- multiple days of work. And basically, that's kind of where I learned to just kind of insert pockets of time into my schedule in order to get after it. So, kind of what we just talked about. It's just kind of breaking it up into smaller chunks and being able to get after it in smaller incremental pieces like that. Good stuff. I know that in emergency management, I always had to break things down into smaller tasks, even just to be successful because some things kind of lead up to the big project. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And honestly, if you don't break those down early on, then you struggle with your final result with your big project doesn't come together very well. You're missing certain aspects. There's a lot of movement and no action because you've been kind of doing all these busy tasks. And then when it came down to the action itself, it's not what you wanted it to be and not what others expected it to be. Right. Well, number four, uh, be compassionate with yourself. Be kind and encouraging to yourself. Um, How are you compassionate? Truthfully, this is something that I struggle with. I know that I'm harder on myself than anybody else ever could be on me. I'm very mission focused on whatever that task at hand is or whatever that project is. And I want it to be the best and better than it was before and better than I did it the last time. 
sometimes that just can't happen. So how I work at being compassionate with myself is just reminding myself that if you go into it and give it all you got and you you maximize your time and your effort, then you did your best. And so you have to be compassionate with yourself and remind yourself that, you know, you're not, you know, failing anybody, you're not doing a bad job, but sometimes that's, that just is what it is. You know, you're human. You can, there's only so many hours in a day, so many days in a week, especially if it's, um, let's say a very short notice thing that you're working, can't expect that it's going to turn out the same as something where you had much more time to prep for and to, you know, to execute. Right. One way that I'm compassionate with myself, especially when I'm pushing a deadline, is I try to give myself plenty of room to not finish it all in one day. And so instead of like, let's say, for example, if I'm working on a five, five hour long project and, you know, I've gotten three hours into it, I may stop for the day. You know, it, it may be the end of the day. And yeah, I could probably push another two hours into overtime and get it done. But then I'm not creating work-life balance, you know what I'm saying? Or I'm giving up going to the gym or training, whatever, whatever the case is. So part of my compassion is saying, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm going to reset and I'm going to pick this back up tomorrow morning or whenever the next period of time is that I have to focus back on it, unless I'm pushing a timeline. For example, if it's due tomorrow morning, yeah, I'm going to stay and I'm going to knock it out and I'm going to finish it. But if I have the luxury of time, I'm not going to try to finish it all in one day if I don't have to. If I have the luxury of being able to stop and say, okay, I've worked at my eight hour day. I've worked my 10 hour day. Let me go ahead and stop and I'll pick this back up tomorrow. Number five, constantly refocus on your why and your values. These should get you off the couch when you're lacking in motivation and feeling like procrastinating. How often do you focus on your why and your values and what does that look like? I would say I focus on my values and my why every day. I don't think there's a time that I don't. If I'm really struggling with doing something, then I go immediately to my values and my why. (laughs) If it doesn't support my values and my why, I'm probably not going to do it. For example, fitness. Fitness is tough. And I'll use a perfect example. Since we moved to Houston, we've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We started training about maybe six to eight weeks ago. Every day when I come home from work all day, I'm extremely tired. And I don't feel like taking that hour drive to training through traffic. But I also know that we made a commitment. We made a commitment to um, our daughter, Alicia, who wants to compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we made a commitment to the school and we made a commitment to ourselves in terms of our goals for the year, which was health and wealth. And so when I really don't feel like going and I really don't feel like putting on that gi and I really don't feel like getting in that car and driving for an hour to go train and get beat up by the by the blue, brown and black belts. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you that it's my why that gives me the encouragement to go again and again and again. You know what I'm saying? And so that is something that I always go back to. And if you find yourself constantly finding a reason not to do what you need to do or not to execute the task, then you really need to evaluate whether that's in alignment with your why and your values. Because if you're finding reasons not to, it may not be aligned. And whatever you're choosing to do other than that hard thing that you don't want to do, Whatever else you're choosing to do, that might be more in alignment with your values. 
you need to get a come to Jesus moment and you need to say, okay, maybe fitness is not what I really care about. Maybe it's more about having some relaxation time with my family. So you really have to come to that moment and have that conversation with yourself. Right. You know, it kind of reminds me of when you're shooting a firearm and you're focused on your sight and you know how when you have one eye closed and one eye open after a while, your vision gets a little bit blurry. You have to kind of blink your eyes and refocus on your target to get the best results. Definitely think it's the same way in anything that you're doing in refocusing on your why and your values. You know, why why did I pick to do this in the first place? You know, maybe I'm struggling today because I have all these competing priorities and I'm, you know, I'm under a lot of stress, um, whatever the case may be. And you remind yourself, family is one of my top values and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is it tough? Am I am I tired? Absolutely. But you know, like you said, you know, I made a commitment and, and this is important. I will say that every time that I didn't want to go, let's say to jujitsu, like that I was just too tired and I was trying to come up with excuses why we shouldn't go today. Yeah. We would go to training and then when training is over, I'd feel so good and I feel accomplished. I'd be like, yes, we did it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, I met that commitment. I came in, I executed and I, I learned something today. And that's where the payoff comes. Right. And you got to keep reminding yourself there's a payoff on the back end of it and look kind of look forward to that. Right. Absolutely. Number six, create accountability. If you can't hold yourself accountable, then create a process or a system to hold you accountable. Have you ever had to create an accountability process for yourself, Crystal? Um, yes, I have. And actually, I like to use the leader standard of work because I put all my deadlines on there, you know, what's due annually, quarterly, monthly, daily, weekly. That's something that I review to make sure that I'm on the right path, you know, that my trajectory is right. And sometimes it's not, or maybe sometimes things come up and I'm like, man, I'm pushing too close to this deadline or I missed this deadline. And so I have to juggle things around or even sometimes you have to enlist somebody else to help you with your accountability. It's true. (laughs) Especially when you're overwhelmed and you're having a hard time. And, And like you said earlier, some of that comes to things like when things come up because you can't control everything, you know, you can put together the best plan. um, You can have the best leader standard of work and still you could have different things that come up, emergencies or just Murphy's law, technical things that come up while you're taking care of those things. You start pushing some of these deadlines that you didn't think that you were going to have an issue making. Then, you know, maybe you have to um, delegate some of those tasks that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have delegated, but definitely, creating an accountability process for me is is certainly a must and sometimes i have to enlist somebody to to help me out there sometimes yeah i think for me the biggest example of accountability uh, process that that we we both developed was when we decided to compete in bodybuilding in 2015 part of creating our our accountability process was hiring a personal trainer and committing to train like let's say three days a week with this guy and because you created this person who is now going to hold you accountable to what you said you were going to do it's harder to cheat on your meals it's harder to skip the gym it's harder because you you have to go and face this guy and he's going to look at you and say hey uh you've gained some weight where what's going on what's up with your diet like what are you doing so that really helped and in that process, we were able to go, like, we went from, I don't know, for I'm just going to speak on myself, but I was probably around maybe 25, 26% body fat, and I was able to drop down almost to, like, 10% body fat 
And that's something that is not an easy thing to do. But when someone's holding you accountable and you're holding yourself accountable, it's definitely something that you can do. And here's another example. When we decided to enroll Alicia in jujitsu, we found a really good school that was being trained by a world champion, right? And I immediately thought to myself, this is going to be a problem because the school was an hour away from where we lived. And I knew immediately that the moment that things started getting complicated and our schedule started getting jumbled up, it was going to be real easy to come up with excuses why we couldn't take her to jujitsu. Right. So in order to create an accountability process, I enrolled <laughs> and then Crystal enrolled. And so with all three of us being uh, enrolled in jujitsu, there is never an excuse why we can't go. You know what I'm saying? Because we've all committed to it. Now, it's not just us taking her and her being accountable. Now it's all of us going um, and all of us being accountable to the process. So that's a great example of creating an accountability process where sometimes you got to do something you don't want to do, or sometimes you got to do something that you know you want to do, but you understand it's going to create some challenges and, and you just got to figure out a way to work around it. Absolutely. Number seven, create work-life balance. Take time to completely shut work off so that you are rested enough to focus fully when you're back on the grind. How do you balance between work and life? This one's a challenging one for me, to, to tell you the truth, and, and the reason why is because it takes a lot of effort. Um, work-life balance doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. Like It's not like you have to do anything specific to not have work-life balance. It's really easy to get caught up in 12-hour days. It's real easy to get caught up in you know, 60, 70, 80-hour weeks. And so for me, I just try to be very deliberate about my work-life balance. And I do that with my leader standard work. And by creating a schedule that allows me to say, okay, I'm coming into work at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get off at 4.30 so that I can make it home by five so that I can make it to jujitsu by six. And that allows me to have that work-life balance. If I didn't have that schedule, I would just work, 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 work. And then I would look at the clock and go, oh my God, I'm supposed to be at jujitsu right now. I just would be responding to that. So by having a schedule and working really, really hard to stick to that schedule as much as possible. And I'm not going to lie and say that sometimes things happen. Sometimes there's an emergency or there's a there's an immediate deadline and things have to be rescheduled. That's okay. That's part of the process. But being very deliberate in holding yourself to that schedule that you've developed for yourself is what I do. Absolutely. You know, I actually read something. Um, I want to say it was it was something that Dana Lynn Bailey said. Um, she is a physique competitor, competed at the Olympia and won. Lots of people know her in the fitness arena. She posted something about having balance and said, basically kind of saying that balance isn't realistic if you're that undeniable person. And I, I agree and disagree to it a certain extent. And I think more what she was kind of hinting on was the uncomfortable aspect, not so much the balance. Because right now we work out in the mornings in the gym, weightlifting and also doing cardio. And then we work all day and there's lots of other things that sporadically come up or that happen or um, different things that are thrown into our schedule. And then in the evenings we do jujitsu. Like Jose mentioned, um, this place is like an hour away. So there's two hours just of driving, and that's not even counting the class. 
it is an uncomfortable schedule. But if we want to be good at work, if we want to be good at fitness, if we want to be good at jujitsu, all of those things have to happen. We can't struggle with, with one or the other. So there's a certain level of discomfort, but we also have found a unique way to blend in some of that balance as well. So we're doing jujitsu as a family. And actually my daughter is working out with us in the morning as well. So she's also weightlifting and doing cardio in the mornings as well. We're also spending time together as a family. So we found a way to incorporate that into our, you know, into our schedule to create that work-life balance. Yeah. And I, and I will say in response, Dana, Dana, is it Dana, Dana, yeah. Dana Lynn Bailey? Dana Lynn Bailey. Yeah. Dana Lynn Bailey. <laughs> Um, in, in terms of what she's saying is, is I think sometimes people can use work-life balance as an excuse right. to not be great, right? right? And say, you know, I really can't get at this because in order to spend time with my family, I've got, I can't be great at work or I can't be great at fitness or I can't be great at jujitsu. And I think that's what she's attacking. If you want to be great, you got to commit the time. Right. And here's, here's another thing. I've heard of people will say, you cannot become an entrepreneur if your wife is not supportive of you as a man, right? Or vice versa, if you're a woman and right. the man's not supportive, right? So, so if one person in the relationship is not supportive of the other person and their goals and their objectives, then it's really hard to have work-life balance because the person is going to be not supportive of what it is you're doing. So that's where alignment of objectives and goals comes in. Because if you're aligned in your objectives and goals, then you should both be working towards the same thing. You can't have work-life balance if one person is all about fitness and the other one is all about wealth. Because right. one's going to be working all the time. The other one's going to be at the gym. You see what I'm saying? Right. And you're not going to have that alignment. So I think alignment is really important in a relationship in order for you to both to travel together in the same direction. Right. And that may mean that as as a supporter of my spouse who is focused on, let's say, wealth, that I support her in her long hours of work right. by cooking dinner, cleaning the house, getting the kids to bed, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. And then she supports me and my fitness by meal prepping and, and that kind of stuff. And together you guys get at what you guys are getting at together, you know what I'm saying, in alignment. It just so happens in our situation we're 100% aligned. We're doing the same things. We're working together. We're working out together. We're, you know, we're spending time together. And so, so it's, it's a, it's the perfect storm for us in order to us to move forward. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, moving on from that, uh, number eight, uh, be confident. Lack of confidence will have you overanalyzing, overpreparing and wasting time. How has lack of confidence impacted your work on projects, Crystal? Most people know that I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of finances, but finance is an aspect as a business owner that you constantly have to focus on, whether you want to or not. And even if you were to have a finance team, it is something that you constantly have to focus on. Guys, I've had to take myself back to school online. <laughs> I know that's right. If it's an area that you're not strong in or isn't what you have your education in, it's an area that can create sometimes a lack of confidence. And so I find myself having to educate myself constantly, which I love. I love learning and growing. But, you know, sometimes that impacts your work, even even in the sense as if if you're a go getter and you're used to accomplishing things and not missing deadlines, when you got to learn a new task and work on it, it's going to take you a lot longer than yeah. a task that you're already good in and you're, you know, muscle memory for you. 
I would say the one thing I'm not lacking in is confidence. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when I when I was at uh, when I was at Amazon in particular, you know, I had a period of time there where my confidence was a little bit shook just because of the environment, the work environment. It, it was a really high bar, and I will tell you that my lack of confidence, what it did for me was it forced me to work harder. I dug into the details of what I needed to learn and I really hustled and, and I, I, I came in two hours early. I stayed two hours late. It's like lack of confidence will make you sometimes work harder, which is a good thing, right? But you're right. Everything else is take, takes time. The reason why I had to come in two hours early and stay two hours late is because the project that I had to do was was complicated. <laughs> it was tough, and I needed that extra time. But right. you know, what I'm saying I've could I could have did the opposite, and I could have said, "Hey, this is just too hard for me," and just threw in a towel. Right? I could have done that, but you know, it did take me more time. And so, if you lack confidence in something, then you probably need to work in a little bit more time into that project to make sure that it gives you time to research time to learn and time to develop the skills that you need in order to do a good job on that project or call somebody for help. Ask somebody for help. Somebody who, if you're, if you're working on an Excel project, then reach out to somebody who's good at Excel and try to get some advice or some help or something like that, you know? You know, and I, and actually I remember when you were at Amazon and, and you talked about some of the different places that some of these people had gone to for, for college, especially if you didn't go to one of those colleges, you automatically get this thought in your head that, oh, they went to a more prestigious college. Um, maybe they got a better education, maybe at a different level than me. It reminds me of when I was at Fort Bliss, um, you know, the military does military balls all the time. And my unit was getting ready to have a military ball. And one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to have every area of the unit do a float. And I had been hearing, I was like, man, if we're going to do this, like, we're not just going to do it halfway we're going to win. Like we're going for the win and not, we're not going to be in the top three. Like we got to be number one. We got to represent. And so I was really working really hard on it. And I remember somebody coming to me and saying, Hey, these guys, they've got a motorized float. And I'm thinking motorized, like how did they get this motorized float? Like, what are they doing? And the funny thing is, is that in the back of my mind, it was kind of shaking my confidence. Cause I'm thinking, well, I'm going to do my best no matter what, but like I want number one and come the day of the ball guys, if I could have recorded this, I wish that I would have recorded this. Their float was the saddest float. They had like put their float on a remote control car and it was super slow moving around. Didn't even come close to our float, but like what you created in your mind you know, your your vision of what this motorized float was, was way bigger than the reality. And so for you, Jose, you know, at Amazon, you know, you, you take your degree that you worked really hard for, you got a bachelor's, you got a master's, and then you've got these guys who are coming from, you know, Harvard and Yale and MIT, and you're automatically thinking, they got to be, you know, so much smarter. And that just wasn't the reality, you know? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, those guys were super smart. Um, <laughs> um, but you know what? Their skill sets were different because a lot of them, that was their first job, right? first of all. Second of all, they're fresh out of school, right? So they're doing things like regression regression analysis. They, they know how to do things with Excel that I've never seen. You know what I'm saying? They're programming software and all kinds of automating things. And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of that. But you know what I can do? <laughs> I can lead. 
You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? I can motivate a team. I can accomplish metrics. I can, you know, I can execute. And that's what I realized. I realized that everyone brings something to the table and you just have to understand what your value is that you're bringing at the time. Right. Number nine, sustain your enthusiasm. Sometimes our initial energy for a project or task begins to die as the task or project becomes extended. Re-engage that enthusiasm by having a partner to re-engage you, listen to podcasts about the topic, or read a book about the topic. And you know what, honestly, sometimes you kind of need a break and then to re-engage, kind of re- refresh, you know, walk away from it for a little while and come back new. You know? Yeah, I agree. How do you sustain your enthusiasm, especially on really prolonged projects? I do what you kind of read about. I watch videos, I'll read books, I'll research. I'll talk about it with different people that that's interested in what it is, whatever the project is. I just try to find that external kind of motivation to keep going forward. So in emergency management, there's a requirement that you have to do so many different training exercises and the, the guidelines are very extensive and You've got to um, engage community partners in it. Um, There's a lot of moving pieces. Um, Sometimes it can seem a little mundane, a little boring. And how I found myself able to sustain that enthusiasm was to be very creative with it, to be realistic. I'm very big, you know, obviously being in the military of training like you fight. You don't do it halfway. You do it the way it's going to happen if it really happens. I also found that it helped for the people who were working on it with me to sustain their enthusiasm as well. We made it fun. We used for one of our exercises, actually, we had Jose be our active shooter. We had them using simulation rounds. The person who ended up getting fired on actually got fired on with simulation rounds, which hurt, by the way. (laughs) They made that known. But that was a way that I found to sustain the enthusiasm. So. Well, that kind of brings us to number 10, which is have fun. Enjoy what it is you're doing. Try to find a way to make it fun. Um, and besides the simulation rounds and, and all that stuff, how do you make your projects fun, Crystal? By engaging everybody, whoever's involved in the project. Projects don't have to be boring. Even if it's a topic that you don't really like, find ways to make it fun by you know, meeting with your team and saying, hey, you know, how can, how can we make this better than it is and getting their input and showing up a day and you're all wearing the same color t-shirt or you have some type of contest, some donut eating contest at lunch, just different things to kind of break up the, the monotony of what you're doing and just letting loose and having fun. You can be professional and have fun at the same time, which is great. The last exercises that we did, um, I had a member of law enforcement say, in all my years of law enforcement, that is the best execution of training that I've ever been to. And it was fun. And it was very realistic, but yeah. it was fun. So, Yeah, active shooter drills are by default fun, if you're the shooter. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're fun anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. So number 11, celebrate the small victories. How do you celebrate your small victories, Jose? If I have a big project, I'll break it down into increments and then I'll celebrate the completion of those increments as they're being completed. When we were in the process of launching All American Lumping and we were trying to grow the business, me and uh, AJ, we would go out and we would do sales calls every, I want to say, I think it was every Wednesday. And we would go out and we would, you know, pound the pavement. We would knock on doors. We would talk to people. 
um, and we would try to generate business. And every time we got a sell or a, a strong lead or something like that, we would go out and we would have we would have lunch together and we would buy steaks and we would, you know, and we would celebrate that win. You know what I'm saying? And that gave us the motivation to carry on to the next Wednesday and then next Wednesday and the next Wednesday. And eventually that turned into what we have now, which is the amount of business that we have. Yeah, right now we currently have 12 active accounts across, you know, four states or about soon to be four states. If we hadn't celebrated those small wins, it's very likely that that energy could have died down and we would have not have continued to pursue that level of engagement, that level of business. And that really worked to develop my sales skills. It was something that I was uncomfortable with, but it, it was something that I did because I knew, all right, as soon as I get done through this day, I know what's waiting for me at the back. It was going to be a little bit of a celebration once we close this deal. You know what I'm saying? So that really helped. I also think that small victories, just like completing tasks, they say that when you complete small tasks, this is another reason to break, you know, your, your projects down to smaller, more manageable tasks. It creates a sense of accomplishment, which sparks your enthusiasm and um, your drive. So in celebrating your small victories, um, you're in essence doing kind of the same thing. Um, You're saying, hey, guys, we did a great job on this. Maybe you're not done with whatever it is, but, you know, hey, we're we're moving forward at the right pace. We're, you know, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, maybe somebody did something that hadn't been done before. And and this is a new lesson learned for your organization that can be very rewarding. That's not to say that you need to celebrate victories that aren't existent. But when you have them, no matter how small they are, you know, celebrate them. And the exercise that we did where Jose was the playing the active shooter, I did for the first time in that organization a low, no-notice exercise. And the reason is because when an active shooter happens, guys, you don't know. You don't know weeks in advance. You can't plan how you're going to respond. So I wanted it to be realistic because I wanted to be able to identify the areas that we needed to work on. And... Jose was so real <laughs> that they thought it was for real, even though they knew because we had there's certain, you know, security and safety things that we have to do in the beginning to make sure nobody really pulls out a real firearm, you know, different things like that. And while we were prepping those things, which at the least amount of time takes 30 minutes at the least. So some of the people were already kind of, you know, hey, I think we're, we're getting ready to do the exercise. They didn't know if he was for real or not. <laughs> <laughs> but but let me tell you what, um, and I brought that up to say that the victories and all of that, obviously we recognized some things that needed to be worked on, but the small victories in that were that we were able to realistically identify some different things that were critical to be fixed in order to be successful in an event like that. But man, Ho- Jose learned he's got some pretty good acting skills. <laughs> And you know what? I'll I'll even bring it a little bit closer to a, a personal level for everyone, because everyone has. I'm sure everyone who's who hears this has been in a situation where you're trying to lose weight, or you're trying to get in shape, or or something like that, right? And I would say, for example, for me, I'm probably I've, I've been at the heaviest that I've ever been in my whole life. I met when we got to Houston, Texas. We, I was weighing in at 230 pounds. When I left the military, I left the military at like 190, 195. And when I was competing, I was competing at like 160. So that's a lot of weight difference. Um, that's, about, that's a weight difference of about 70 pounds from when I was bodybuilding to when I you know, got to Houston. And going in and saying, hey, I'm going to lose 40 pounds, that's a big number. 
And that's going to take a lot of time. That's a project, right? But being able to, to break it down into increments and say, okay, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And when you lose those 10 pounds, you celebrate that. You go out to um, the Cheesecake Factory or you go to Morton's and you whatever. You go out and have a great meal and you, you have that one celebratory meal. Then you get back on the grind. Right. You know what I'm saying? You get back in the gym and you're on the next target, which is the next 10 pounds. As you're working off that weight, what you start to realize is that you start to look for that win. Because if you're trying to lose 40 pounds, after about two or three months, you're going to be tired. You're not going to be seeing the progress as fast as you want to see it. You know what I'm saying? You'll be like, man, I've lost weight, but I'm not even close to 40. I've got another 20 pounds to lose. And I've lo- I'm down to 209 pounds as of this morning. So that's that's really good. That's about... 21 pounds that I've lost. So this weekend I'll be at Cheesecake Factory celebrating my, <laughs> nah, nah, just kidding. But, but yeah, it's, I think it's really important to, at that very basic level to understand that, you know, break down your goals into smaller increments. And then when you hit that target, find a way to celebrate. It could be something small like a cupcake or lunch or sleeping in that morning, whatever, skipping the day from the gym or going, getting the spa treatment, whatever the case is, find a way to celebrate that small win And that will give you the encouragement to keep moving forward. And know that you deserve it. You know, sometimes we feel like, you know, a a small victory isn't deserving. You know, oh, I haven't reached my my goal weight. I'm not, you know, I don't look like this. You know, sometimes you can walk in a gym and be intimidated. You see people at all different, you know, fitness levels. And recently I had seen somebody in the gym that, that I was like, man, like that person had to have worked really hard to be where they're at. You know, sometimes people... Um, jump to conclusions and think they've always looked that way. It must be easy right. for them, you know, and then you find out this person was anorexic for years. This really took a lot. Not only did they build muscle, but they built muscle and, and in a proportionate manner. And that's not easy to do. Um, just like losing weight isn't easy to do. You know, then you see the right. person who's competing and they're a pro and, you know, they lost a hundred pounds to do it. You know, there's a process and those those small victories should be celebrated and know that they're worthy of being celebrated. And just so you know, when you look at somebody and go, oh, they're lucky or, oh, they must have good genetics. That's a form of hate. <laughs> it is. That's a form of hate. <laughs> it is. Because you're basically saying, oh, they couldn't have worked that hard to do what they did because I can't work that hard to, to be there. You know what I'm saying? And so whenever you find yourself looking at somebody and going, oh, they're lucky or, oh, they're blessed or, oh, they were they were handed everything on a silver spoon or, or whatever the case is, you have to really self-analyze and figure out where that hate's coming from because there's a little bit of hate there. Um, you will never see the process of successful people. You will only see their outcome. You only see the success. You only see them when they're on top. You won't see them when they're in the bottom. Nobody remembers when Jeff Bezos was in a <laughs> was in his garage trying to figure out how to sell books. Nobody will 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 celebrate that. You know what I'm saying? Right. But then you see him as the richest man in the world, and you're like, oh, he's lucky. No, he worked his ass off for 30 years to get that mm-hmm. those billions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? Well deserved, and he's changed the game. And I will say that you really have to self analyze if you're looking at people around you and saying, oh. They're lucky they're, you know, they have this and I don't have that. The, the reason why they have it and I don't is because they're lucky or they're blessed or, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You really have to know that there was work that went behind that. Now, maybe there's somebody who inherited millions and, you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to tell you, even keeping millions is hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that, my friends, is why they say that hard work beats talent. You could be talented and quit and you're not going to surpass the person who has that hard work. 
So for those of you still finding it a challenge to tell the difference between motion and action, James Clear, author of The Mistakes Smart People Make, Being in Motion Versus Taking Action, provides the following examples of motion versus action. If I outline 20 ideas for articles I want to write, that's motion. If I actually write and publish an article, that's action. If I email 10 new leads for my business and start conversations with them, that's motion. If they actually buy something and, tur- and they turn into a customer, that's action. If I search for a better diet plan and read a few books on the topic, that's motion. If I actually eat a healthy meal, that's action. If I go to the gym and ask about getting a personal trainer, that's motion. If I actually step under the bar and start squatting, that's action. If I study for a test or prepare for a research project, that's motion. If I actually take the test or write my research paper, that's action. Guys and gals, uh, it's time to level up. It's time to level up. And it's, it's time to stop allowing motion to detract us from actually accomplishing our goals and objectives. We need to begin to understand that in order to move the ball forward, you need to take decisive and deliberate action. Stop planning, stop preparing, stop scheduling, stop researching and saving and start doing If you've been thinking about going back to school, enroll today. If you've been thinking about starting a business, register your business now. If you've been seeing that cute guy or that cute girl, approach him or her today. Motion isn't enough to get the job done. Take action and achieve success.